Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC. It's your favourite football podcast. Back for another week and back ahead of the Champions League returning. We're here to re-rank all those teams to give ourselves a refresher of where everyone stands ahead of the round of 16 and basically to take a look at who the favourites are at this point in terms of winning this competition. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your host today and joining me is the rank of Mr Sam Tai. Hello my friend, I hope you're well. I'm very well, thank you, my friend. And of course, our transfer guru, Mr. Dean Jones. Hello, mate. Hello, mate. How, How are you doing? You good? I'm all right, mate. I'm all right, yeah. Excellente. Excellente. I assume, right. I assume we've all done our five minutes in child's pose yoga this morning, as uh, recommended on Oh, mate. Week. My life's been transformed. Yeah, my life's transformed. I did get a message from someone saying, I have started, I, I'm going to take Sam's restaurant recommendation and use that in everyday life. So they might not be standing on one leg while doing the dishes, but um, they, uh, mm. they they feel like they might be doing that bit. So, you know, each their own. Nitpick what you like out of Sam's yeah. rankings. But uh, if that's all you take, fair play to you. And um, let's start off before we get into the Champions League with things we love and dj do you want to start us off yeah i mean i loved the fa cup at the weekend um and i think the most obvious thing is obviously the upset and boreham wood beating bournemouth 1-0 was a ridiculous story really you know a team in the fifth tier making it through to the fifth round and beating a team who were in contention to be promoted for the championship to the premier league um, and put in an unbelievable performance. Um, they could have scored more in the first half, such was their dominance in that spell. And Bournemouth had to bring in all the big hitters to try and, and rescue the day. And they didn't manage to do it. Normally, the big clubs do manage to do it, but they didn't. And it was great. So congratulations to Boreham Wood for that. You know, big win for Nottingham Forest as well over Leicester. Absolutely smashed them 4-1. That was a big win. The one I want to focus on, actually, is Kidderminster, who didn't manage an upset. Um, but this, for me... the the narrative is actually Declan Rice. And the thing I love this week is Declan Rice. Um, now, Kidderminster, obviously, such a shame they didn't manage to win this game. And I wish they had, of course. Um, they didn't. They were 1-0 up against West Ham. They didn't quite manage their upset because Declan Rice scores right at the end in the 90th minute with a moment of pure brilliance. Uh, he drives through the heart of the team, plays a little give and go and, and slams it into the roof of the net. It's proper captain stuff, this. Like, Hell of a finish. It, it really is. He's like, I've had enough of this. Give me the ball. Um, I'll sort this out. And uh, he storms through, scores the goal, takes it to extra time, and then West Ham nick it at the end of extra time. Now, that side of it was a little bit sad from a, a narrative point of view. But Declan Rice isn't finished, and his work for the day isn't done. And he goes on to show why he's one of the nicest blokes in football. He runs over to the crowd, and he's obviously showing his appreciation. He takes his shirt off and gives it to a kid in the crowd. Um, which was a lovely moment. And the kids uh, posted since with with the shirt and stuff. And there's a nice picture out there for everyone to see. But not only that, he then goes into the Kidderminster changing room afterwards, Declan Rice, and speaks to their players, hands out some more shirts to people, and he ends up showering with them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Declan Rice has no boundaries here when it comes to like just getting on with the, what like, getting on with the other lads. And he ends up showering with them and having a chat and stuff. And, um, you know, Kidderminster came away from it. They're like, honestly, this group of West Ham players, like, they couldn't have been more humble about this. Like, they're coming around to us after saying, unlucky, like, you deserve better. Um, 
you know, lift yourselves off the ground because you shouldn't be there. But in terms of Declan Rice doing all that, it's just lovely to see a normal lad who's extremely good at football being so nice Look, at a time right now when there are some footballers out there not doing some great things. Um, doing some horrendous things. Let's doing be, some horrendous things. Let, yeah, let's be absolutely clear and stuff that we, we hate to see. It's just lovely and refreshing to know that there are guys like Deck around to give us all hope and to know that there are good guys. Yes, indeed. Um, I mean, my uh, personal line in the sand for Declan Rice was crossed a long time ago, but, uh, but therefore <laughs> that's, uh, that's a slightly different one. And it's nice to see that he's still doing nice bits and bobs around yeah, the place. Um, right, let's go to you, Sam. What's your thing we love this week? Yeah, I loved Senegal's Africa Cup of Nations final win, uh, the first in their history and uh, a richly deserved win as well. And it's it's been great to watch that. It's been great to finally see those dreams uh, of the population of Senegal realised. And it was particularly fantastic to see our beloved Sadio Mane embark on a redemptive curve over the course of 120 minutes that could put any Marvel producer to shame. I mean... <laughs> He missed a penalty very early on in this final, and it was a huge moment. I mean, games swing on single goals in football. That's why they this sport is so tense, because it's so low scoring. And when you get given a penalty four or five minutes into the game in a final and you miss it, well, that's when people start to think that fate and destiny are against you. And look, Senegal did dominate the, the final. They were the better side throughout. They created the chances. It just wouldn't go away. And Look, the theme of the Africa Cup of Nations, or one of them, was as long as Egypt are in the game, the longer the game goes on, the more likely it is that Egypt will win. And they went to extra time in every single knockout game they played. They were, ended up playing three penalty shootouts. They think what I think they have what I think might be the the best penalty taker in the world. Um, and it's not Mohamed Salah; it's uh, it's Zizou, Zizou, um, and. I'd never heard of him before. I think he, he plays over in Egypt and I tweeted about him once and I got a flood of Egyptians saying this guy is the best in the world and I, I truly believe them. But once we got to penalties, I just thought, oh no, here we go. Senegal are going to miss out on the prize once again. But of course, it's Sadio Mane who steps up for that final penalty and this is just an incredible display of composure at the highest level. Like in elite sport, this is a... I performed action under about as much pressure as a human being can possibly come under. And Sadio Mane bashes the penalty home. It's an amazing penalty. Goalkeeper who's been amazing, Gabaski, does the right way. Can't get near it. Side netting before it hits the back of the net. It's perfect. And it wins Senegal the AFCON. The celebrations are amazing. I even love uh, Sadio Mane where, you know, lying in bed with a trophy, Lewandowski style, after his, uh, his Champions League haul. And Sadio Mane has, has said, it's the best day of my life. And it's the best trophy of my life. I won the Champions League and some other trophies. Sorry, Sadio. I mean the Premier some League. Other trophies. I mean, what do you mean, the, I mean the Premier League. Um, some right other trophies. On the wind up, isn't he? But this is a special one for me. It's more important for me. I'm happy for myself, for my people, and for my family. And uh, that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. After a backdrop of December, where people were questioning uh, the importance of the Africa Cup of Nations. Uh, a backdrop of people arguing about whether or not people and players should be let go to the tournament. Sadio Mane valuing this as the most important trophy of his entire life, ahead of the Champions League and ahead of the Premier League, which he couldn't even be bothered to name, says it all. And I absolutely adore it. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, I do course. think there's a point to be made that, you know, whilst club trophies come and there are some players for which that is the, you know, the absolute be all and end all and I've read lots of things, you know, the likes of Jamie Carragher in his book, he says, you know, in, in terms of my allegiances, 
the live a bird mauled the three lions every time because that was where I felt most. But most people will look at this, I think, and think that winning an international trophy with your country, is, is, it remains the purest form of football um, and, and therefore can remain the absolute pinpoint. Because, you know, there's one thing you can move to clubs who win trophies. You can move to places that you know, have a history or at least a project in place to do so. But you can't really choose that with your country at any given point. You just have to kind of rely on the luck of the draw and the talent and work rate of those around you. And so for Senegal to win, obviously, their first AFCON and for Mane to win a trophy with his country, you know, in a it's circumstances that, you know, were absolutely mad pressurized. I just think it was absolutely beautiful. I don't blame him whatsoever uh, for feeling that way about the this and I know it's, it's upset some Liverpool fans um, but I just don't think it's too mad to you know to read that much into it he's just so delighted to have gone yeah. and won something with his country and I think that's yeah. completely fair enough and he's a big part of his of his community as well back home I mean is obviously yeah. from 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 a village in which he now pours money back into pouring, pours investment back into with with, with schools and, and facilities um, and we saw videos of him preparing to depart for Cameroon when he'd made base in Dakar and Senegal with his teammates. And he was dancing with the Senegalese flag along with uh, a musical band and his, and, his, and his teammates and his compatriots. Um, this is a guy who's really in tune with who he is and his family and his population and his country. And I'm just delighted that he's been able to make all of those dreams come true. Also, you see the celebrations in Dakar as they landed. Yeah. You see what happened. We were talking about earlier in the week, the Orlando Pirates manager was saying that the South African Premier League was more important than the Africa Cup of Nations. And I'm sorry, and no disrespect to the South African Premier League, which is a great tournament in itself, uh, but it is not. It is not. You know, you look at what's going on at, at this point and the celebrations you can see across Dakar and you're thinking, there's nothing in the world that's probably more important than this. Just a few weeks back, we had people saying, oh, why would a player want to go? Look at those celebrations. They are absolutely through the roof. And you know what? What a, what a day and what, what a special moment for everyone involved. So fair play to Senegal and to Sadio Mane. Um, right, I'm going to finish with my thing I love, which is going to be shorter and sweeter. Um, but on Monday night... <laughs> Salernitana played Spezia in uh, Serie A uh, in a basement battle. Salernitana um, basically fielded a lot of new players in, in January. The, the head coach, um, Stefano Colanciuono, uh, said that he needed reinforcements and he was given them by the bucket load. Um, and so we saw a pretty new look Salernitana team last night. We saw Dragosin and Fazio put together for the first time. We saw Simone Verdi and Lise Mousset start together in the front three alongside Franck Ribéry, um, which is a pretty nuts front three, full stop. Um, but the best part about this game was that the two number 10s on either side of it were Simone Verdi for Salernitana, and then also Daniele Verde for Spezia, um, which just can show you that the grass can be greener on the other hey, side. There he is, there he is. <laughs> they were both on the score sheet as well, which is quite nice, but... Actually, it was it was Simone Verdi who stole the show with two absolutely glorious free kicks. They curls one in from sort of the corner point of the box at one point. You know those ones that whip into the near post. Mm. They're really special freaks. I remember Neymar did one in the in the remontada. It was exactly that kind of angle where it feels like it's it, there's no space to get it into that front post. Well, Verdi did one of those, and everyone was like, "What a free kick!" About ten minutes later, he lines another one up, 
from a lot further out and does the same thing again. And you're going, wow, this guy's on for a hat trick of free kicks. Um, it didn't quite make it and it was a two-all draw, but an incredibly entertaining game. And uh, just really enjoyed that little uh, the little number 10 off between the two green boys. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, there's my, my two cents worth for this week. Right, after the break, we are going to be talking about the Champions League and ranking every club left in the competition. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It is time for our big ranking. And Sam, it's over to you. It's a, it's an old school one coming back for a second round. It is indeed, yeah. As Dean hinted back in December, um, we've got a very clever content plan here at Ranks FC. Uh, we rank the teams once and then we wait a couple of months and then we do the same ranking again to see what's changed. It's, to be uh, fair though, we even forgot about it, so I bet everyone else did. We did, yeah. We <laughs> we remembered it yesterday at lunchtime. So, oh, hang on a minute. The, <laughs> the Champions, Champions League, League. Back it's back, oh. yeah. So, we're, we're first, first and foremost, we're delighted to exclusively reveal here on the Ranks FC platform that the Champions League will return next week. Oh, um, so amazing. Good, good news for Great everybody. Scoop. Great news. news. Have that yeah, for Brixia. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we have we've gone in and taken a look at the, the 16 teams that qualified for the round of 16 and re-ranked them in terms of their strength. It's not quite a level of who I think will most likely win the trophy. I think that can come a bit later when we get the bracket for the quarterfinal stage onwards. Um, but for now, it's a case of general strength. And let's just see how things have changed over the course of the last two months. Because as we continually tell you, a lot can change over the course of two months in football. And there's been a January transfer window to imp- influence things as well. So I'm going to go through and start at the bottom uh, I'll read out the ranking, the name, and then obviously we'll talk about where they've moved as well. So at number 16, uh, and this is a team that has dropped to the bottom of the pile, uh, only by one spot, but they've gone to bottom, is Lille. Um, they're the only team in the round of 16 that are in the bottom half of the of their respective domestic competition and league table. It's been a bit of a tough season for them. They've lost some big players. They lost another one in January, and it's kind of just not really going to plan at all. It's also not going to plan for Benfica, who were down to 15th. So that's a, a drop of two. I'm old enough to remember when Benfica couldn't stop winning. That was uh, back in about <laughs> September. They have um, got Darwin Nunez scoring goals, though. That said, he's, have, he's yeah. taken over the mantle of top scorer in the Primeira. Um, Very true. So Very there true. is that to hang on to if you're Benfica. There is. Um, they've got a new manager since the last time we talked about Benfica uh, in this context. And uh, I still feel a bit like they're as just as likely to win a game as they are to lose it, which in Portugal isn't supposed to be the case, not for one of the big three. Uh, so they're down in 15th and Salzburg retain 14th spot. They haven't played football since we ranked them. <laughs> They've been That's on good. a long winter slumber. Um, so They must be well rested. Shouts out them boys. Yeah, they didn't lose them massive, vibes. did they? That's good. Well, yeah, uh, that was one positive. That was it? one big positive. They really didn't lose. There was There was kind of threats that they might lose everyone. They lose yeah, they like, lost almost no one. Yeah, Karamedayemi is, you know, might he might be Dortmund bound in the summer, but for now he's a Salzburg player. There were some um, big offers on Brendan Aronson as well, especially yeah. from Leeds United. But um, Leeds, Leeds he's spent still an, a month chasing him. And look, I think look you've, when you've got a game with Bayern Munich on the horizon, um in the Champions League round of sixteen, that the, the the club's first ever knockout game in the Champions League, you get to be a part of some serious history there. I think that should be a relatively easy sell to players like Adiemi and Aronson, who are teenagers, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I mean, Adiemi certainly is, and Aronson is nineteen or twenty. So, um, yeah, that must be an easy one. Just hang around six months, you'll be fine. You'll mm-hmm. be fine. So, Salzburg retained fourteenth, down into thirteenth. This is the awkward conversation. Atletico Madrid. 
the Where reigning, were they before? So they, they've dropped two spots. They were only 11th. So we had mm. our doubts about them in December. And they were... I distinctly remember saying that this is one of the teams with the most growth potential, thinking it would get better. <laughs> I would argue it has only got worse. Yeah. Like, watching them against Barcelona at the weekend, they were absolutely hapless. And they've lost so many games recently over the last six or seven. They've lost like four of the last six or seven. It's been really difficult to watch. It, it, and it's got no better. It's just got a bit worse. I mean... In normal circumstances, a man, this manager would be under extreme pressure. But Diego Simeone is worshipped at yeah. Atletico Madrid and he has more than earned the right to turn this around. But it is a bit uncomfortable watching how bad they are at the moment. And I just cannot consider them a threat for this is Champions Is it good League news Champions. for them, though, that at least they've got Man United in the next round? Might give them some hope of, of like <laughs> revamping their season from here. I mean, because let's face it, United are actually one of the teams you would if you had to pick someone in the round of 16, United are probably one of the teams you'd pick. I mean, so I've got Villarreal in 12th, just above Atleti. I, and then, I and, thought you might say Man United. but yeah. And then Man United are 11th. Okay. Um, and I, they're a confusing one. They're just like yeah. Atleti. They're not doing great. I mean, look, actually, Man United's high points over the last two months, they have been probably a bit higher than Atletico mm. Madrid. Every now and then they put together a really good 45 minutes or something like that. And when you've got someone like Cristiano Ronaldo around and... and and let's face it, the sheer amount of talent that Man United actually do carry, mm. um, you do feel like they could be in a cup competition at a real threat. They, but they're out of all the other cups. You know, they yeah, just lost well, this a, is the lost, thing, lost isn't it? Like, so it's a tough one. I said, I remember saying before, like, they could win this competition because they were built on moments under Solskjaer and all the rest of it. And they've got Ronaldo and all they need is to grind it. Nick a 1-0 here and there. But oh, from what I've seen in the last month or so, Mm. I don't get the feeling that this is a team that is actually capable of winning the Champions League. I, I thought they would be in a better place now than they've actually got to. Rangnick, every time you think something's turning a corner, there's new questions to answer, it looks like. Yeah. And just to hop back to 12th there for VRIL, not to completely mm. ignore them. I think they are the biggest risers in this list. They've gone up four spots. So I had them last when we um, when we talked about them in December. So this is quite the turn of events. But yeah. then. um they're a point off Atletico in La Liga now, um, but I felt like I had to put them off just, just just above Atletico. I think they deserve that. They've just been a lot better over the last couple of months. They won six games in a row just before Christmas. They've just beaten Real Betis in what was, okay, not great from Betis, but, but a, a very good performance from Villarreal. And I have very way more faith. Rotated, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have way more faith in Villarreal winning a Champions League game right now than uh, or or a champion or, or putting together a Champions League campaign or, or like pulling off a bit of an upset than I do yeah. in Atletico right now. Way more faith. So I felt like they really do deserve to be above Atleti here. So Villarreal 12 and Man United 11. Okay. I mean, let's talk about this then because that, that makes Man United favourites for this game, right? That's, that's where we're at, which is a bit of a mad situation considering how upset Man United fans are with pretty much everything right now. With uh, Atleti, yeah. Um, I mean, they're both. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It is much of a muchness, isn't it? Yeah. They feel I, like they're in very yeah, similar just, spots. They are, yeah. They do, well, yeah. They feel broken. They as feel we record good. this, United are fourth and Atleti are fifth, aren't they? So maybe United have got the edge. Like, got very high standards. They've got very high standards for yeah. these big clubs. Although that could all change tonight. As we're recording this, they've, United might lose to Burnley tonight for all we know. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think that's, that's very much a 50 50 game. And it's like, yeah. who, who's got the bottle to figure this one out? But. Yeah, I mean, I do, I do, I do make Man United favourites to beat Atleti right now. I, I can't, I cannot. Yeah, it just about like I just can't believe how bad they are. 
Okay. All right. Well, let's get into this top 10 then, shall we? All right. Number 10, uh, we kick off with Sporting, who retained their spot from last time. Um, not that much to say about Sporting. To be honest. They're just kind of tickling along, aren't they? And um, the only real feel... news we have is... Go on. No, as I said, the only real news we have is that um, they now very much boast the undisputed best player in Portugal in Pedro Gonçalves because Luis Diaz is gone. So is that a trophy? I don't know. But um, well, it's not a trophy. Um, I, I'd say that Sporting had a good had a good window. That would be my um, that would be my big kind of takeaway from all of the bits and bobs that we've we've seen here. Is that I think that they've had a. They've had a good window. They they brought in back Islam Slamani, who they love um, at Sporting he, because they do love him because he slayed Porto a couple of times. They used to, I think they call him the Dragon Slayer, if I'm not mistaken. They did, um, yeah, which they is did. why which is why he's so beloved um, there. They also brought in Marcus Edwards, who we've loved for a long, long time. Sam, um, a player who went off from Tottenham's books and and went into Portugal and joined Vitoria Guimarães. Um, where he has had a good couple of years, um, frankly. And I know a couple of years back, we were looking at players that fit the kind of Jaden Sancho mould in terms of stylistic nature, in terms of what they produce. Uh, Marcus Edwards was on that list. Um, he, he's a really interesting pickup and one that I think is probably quite smart. Still only 23 years old. Um, they lost Giovanni Cabral, who's been fringe. Um, and they lost Thiago Tomar, who I like a lot. Um, but he's gone on loan to Stuttgart because he just wasn't getting the minutes. And you'd imagine with Slomani and Paulinho there now, yeah. he's not going to be getting any minutes. Um, so there's that kind of element of things. But it just feels like they've probably strengthened a little bit, Sporting, from where they were. Um, and I, I don't know. I think they're a very, very good side. They're well coached. We talk about Amorim being one of the upcoming managers in, in the kind of world right now. One of the great young managers currently playing their trade. Now, that doesn't always mean they go on to the heights of the heights, but it, it feels like he's on that path right now. Done a wonderful job there. Um, and, and yeah, I, I fancy Sporting to give almost anyone a game at this point. Yeah, I mean, they're top 10. And it's um, it, speak, it speaks to how far they've come over the last couple of years, doesn't it? Um, because... They've recently won a Primera title, re-qualified for the Champions League. A lot of these things were a long time in the making. And I've got clearly got more faith in them than I do uh, Manchester United, um, Europa League champions, Villarreal, Atletico Madrid. It's, it's But a, they it's have a, Man it's City. A, it's a sign. Yeah, damn it. Would <laughs> they, I know this isn't necessarily predated on who people are playing. Yeah. But would they be higher in this list if they had Atletic or Man United? Because it, it feels like they are probably stronger than some of these sides but they have a worse draw yeah possibly i mean i've tried to stray away from that where possible but it naturally kind of comes in at the edges of your of your thoughts when you when you start to produce this kind of thing it, it's it's possible yeah um but 10th is still a very healthy spot for them no doubt yeah absolutely okay let's keep okay. rolling on number nine up three spots i'm trying really hard not to overreact to one single game here but something about juventus and there's something about <laughs> here we go there's something about Vlavic and the sharp edge that he gives them that just wasn't there before. Um, it was Dybala or bust in attack for Juve and they are not as robust as they used to be. You cannot you cannot say that they are the defensive Trojans that they once were under any manager really, but particularly under Allegri. He's, he's found that those players aren't quite as good as they were and things have changed a little bit. So they needed to add another extra element to, to, to things here. And 
Vlavic just has that X factor and just that that poaching ability that can change games for you. And he does. He just gives them this little sharp edge that they didn't have. And yeah, trying really hard not to overreact to one game, but he just changes the complexion of the team. And so I've put them up into ninth. I've, I've moved them up three spots. They were down there with Atleti and, and United before as like, eh, should be better. And yeah, they um, sort themselves out and they feel um, like well, they've, yeah, they've they're, they're the some one, way to starting it, right? Yeah, the one of the three teams there, the only one of the three, well, I think have actually done something about it. Yeah, definitely that. And I mean, just like you say about Vlavic, like the just seeing him up there was scary in itself. Like you're just watching the play build up and there's this huge guy just on his toes, ready to for whatever's coming. Like whether he's getting in front of his man and laying it off, whether he's going to try and get him behind, whether he's going to try and, you know, have a touch out of his body to one side and just have a shot from wherever he is. Um, he's a scary, scary forward. Um, and, you know, we mentioned this on the Patreon the other day, but in that first game, he got something extra out of Morata as well. Morata now will enjoy the fact that he's not the guy that is constantly being relied on for goals. And if he misses one, then all hope is gone. And he seemed to have a really good communication with him. And Dybala will obviously love playing with him too. So that is a front three that's exciting. And definitely, yeah, gives them an edge going into the last 16. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, the thing is that we know that there's a, a really good set of players there, right? That ultimately, that's where you're at. Um, and, and you're looking at this going, who are the players that can go and turn things around and, and make things happen for Juventus? And suddenly, it looks like they've refreshed the midfield a little bit with Zachariah coming in there and someone that we know is you know, very, very good at the base there. And we'll give them that little bit more of defensive solidity, a little bit more protection in there. And they've brought in uh, you know, a player who we think is going to be a world-class number nine. He's already on the verges uh, of kind of getting there. And I think he showed that first game with that with that goal. We've seen it across the year at Fiorentina. I mean, am I pleased that he's at Juventus? No. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, you've got to deal with what you've got to deal with. Um, and, and, and right now, Vlavic looks like the exact player that they need just to start facilitating things. I, I think it's going to be a really interesting time to keep keep it watching Juventus. So um, I don't I don't blame you at all for throwing them up the rankings. Yeah, up three. And so moving to eight, I'll do eight and seven together here because they haven't moved. And it is genuinely a case of, as you were, um, PSG are still in eighth. They have possibly the best players, like the best squad in the world, um, arguably. Uh, and yet they still continue to not play like it. There are some obvious, obvious issues there in terms of fitting these things together tactically and some of the profiles of the attackers don't necessarily fit the coach. So all sorts of problems. That said, I would say PSG have got 5% better since we last talked about them. So that's progress, isn't it? I mean, hmm. it's what it is. It's small gains, but it's gains. Um, and at seven, I've kept Inter Milan where they are. Best side in Italy. The loss to Milan in the derby at the weekend doesn't really change that. Um, I'd even go as far as to say that if you can label Inter Milan a dark horse for this tournament, then they are the dark horse for the tournament. They are such a storied club. They've won it in 2010. I don't know if that's allowed. But then again, they hadn't made it out of the groups for like best part of a decade. So um, they've not really been, well, they had just haven't featured at this part of the tournament, of this tournament for so long. It feels like such a long time since I've seen them take on a Champions League round of 16 game. I kind of feel like they are sort of dark horses in a way, but yeah. they're in seventh. They're a really, really strong side. And I, I felt no reason to move them up or down. 
Yeah, I, I think this is it. I mean, I actually think they've signed well. They've, you know, reinforced. They've, they've got stronger left wing back, although that won't impact them, obviously, straight away because he's coming back from, from an injury. But, you know, they've, they've brought in Caicedo to fill out the, the forward core. Um, Gersens has come in, who will be a massive upgrade uh, left wing back when, when when he does get back to fitness. I think it puts Inter in a, a really good spot. Um, and I think that ultimately we're looking at them and thinking, yeah, OK, why not? Well, who's, you know, there's obviously wonderful teams in Europe and we'll get to the top top teams but outside of kind of the big three for me i, I think it's a bit low sam i'll be honest i, I would I add them fourth or fifth i think um i think that they're better than quite a lot of teams they're more cohesive than quite a lot of teams yes there's a little bit of the unknown in having them in here because of the kind of lack of experience that we've seen over the last couple of years but on the whole i, I think they're better than this the edge though mm. that you've got to bring into this is that they looks like they're going to be in a proper title win. race yeah. and a lot of the other teams who are going to go be going for the Champions League I think will have it wrapped up before they will um, I still make into my, my favourites to win the league but it's not going to be quite maybe as straightforward now as it, as it looked like it might have been and so that's just like another factor that they have to balance out isn't it yeah true and also they've got a hell of a game in a run of 16 uh, not that we're necessarily <laughs> counting the ties but like yeah. it's um I mean, look, if they do go and beat Liverpool, then things will change very, very quickly. True, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, but they, they are, the I, big ones, I think, I think, yeah, staying true to the kind of the ethos of the ranking, like I think they're roughly the seventh best uh, team in the team left in the competition. And at six, I've dropped Real Madrid down to sixth from fifth. Mm. Ooh. Is that because they're a bit boring? Is it because is it because Benzema and Vinicius are out? <laughs> Which one of those put, two is it? Yeah, I mean, I just try, I was trying to put my finger on it. Um, their level definitely has dropped over over the kind of Christmas period. Um, they've dropped some points against lesser sides, which doesn't really impact them in the context of this ranking because there is no such thing as a lesser side left in this tournament. Um, so I've tried to remove that from the conversation, is to try and figure them out. But I guess. Like, while I'm not, not concerned about Real Madrid at all, obviously, I have them in sixth. Like, I just feel like in the way that PSG have got 5% better, I just feel like Real Madrid have got that 5% worse. Um, and that kind of leads us on to number five, which is Ajax, who they've ba I've basically swapped them and I've put Ajax into the top five and I've dropped Real Madrid into sixth. This is the way around I thought it was going to be in December. I was convinced that before I'd actually written the ranking out in December that Ajax would be in the top five. And Real Madrid's form felt so strong at the time that I just felt they had to drop to six. And well, this time around, I didn't think I'd be changing these around and, and I'd have done it again. Um, Real Madrid have just shown a little bit of fragility and a couple of players' levels have dropped over the last uh, couple of months. And in the meantime, Ajax, I mean, while I'm not taking much from 5-0, 3-0, 3-0, 9-0 wins in the league... Um, <laughs> They did. They did beat out PSV. In the that, win over PSV that. was massive, wasn't it? It's a massive, massive win, and it's a proper litmus test for them. And they passed. They passed, and uh, and I've got a lot of faith in them. So I basically flipped these guys around the way I thought they would be in December. But I guess the fact that they keep flip flopping means that they're very, very close. And and we're talking about two exceptional teams. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Mm. Um, I think that's a that's a fair shout. I, I just maybe maybe you're right. Maybe it is going back to who people are drawn against, et cetera, et cetera. But I think Inter might right now be better than both of them. Um, that's my take. And I, and you know how much I love Ajax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so hard though, isn't it, with Ajax? Because um, their league their league games are just like not 
they're not appropriate to judge in this context. Like they're like a, it's like a it's like putting a Champions League side and a very good one at that into the Championship for half of it. Like the bottom half of the Eredivisie is is really weak, and so it's very difficult to get a week to week gauge on them. Which is why when they play the Champions League games, they mean an awful lot in terms of how we judge them. Yeah. And to be fair to Ajax. They every... passed every test with flying <laughs> they've colours. They've won every game it, they've yeah. played in the yeah, Champions yeah. League this season. So, um, got to give them those dues, I guess. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, let's move into the big guns then, shall we? All right. So, at four, I've put Chelsea. They've had some interesting months, injury crises, more injury crises, seem to hit specific positions, central midfield, then specifically wing-back. Thomas Tuchel, I think, has done a, an exceptional job of rejigging the team. Um, changing formation, uh, tweaking the roles of certain players, bringing Lukaku back into the fold after um, the weird situation they had with him and um, getting form out of players like Malang Saar that I just didn't really see coming. Didn't see this coming at all. And it's not that he's managed to do all this and pick up some results against like middling opposition. They've beaten Tottenham, uh, I think, if memory serves correct, about 150 times in the last three weeks. There seems to be all the only team they ever play and they beat them all of the time. So he's managed but to The only team they ever a... beat at the moment. <laughs> he's managed to, to, to progress to a, a domestic cup final over two legs against Tottenham and, and muddle through what should have been a really tricky period. And that's a massive hint. It's a massive hint at a couple of things. Well, three things actually. One, just level of talent. Two, incredible squad depth that can serve you so, so well in these scenarios. And three... Thomas Tuchel is a genius. And if you've got a genius at the helm, you stand a pretty good chance of getting somewhere. If they didn't have Lille, I'd be questioning this, but they do. So that's, that's where we're at. Like fourth, fourth v 16th. It just feels a bit, this is the thing. I think again, you know, we're talking about Chelsea feeling like they're muddly at the moment. They feel like they're a little bit unbalanced. We watched them in the FA Cup at the weekend, muddle through against Plymouth Argyle. Um, no easy games against Plymouth. Argyle. There are no easy goals at home park. I appreciate, but like ultimately, you know, we have to. You have to look at this and think that Chelsea don't feel they feel a bit of a shadow of themselves at the moment. Um, if they had a really tricky test here, and bear in mind they drew Lille twice, twice, <laughs> yeah, the two draws. Um, I think there's a you know a stake to be made that right now if they'd been drawn against someone who I thought had more about it themselves then they would they would ultimately be struggling um and and yet here we are so so there's that kind of element of things um you have to you have to think about but I I, I can't disagree with you right now I think that if Chelsea are still in this funk after this round and we get to a round later down the line where things are a little bit different um, then perhaps we might have to reevaluate this uh, this space, but right now it feels reasonable, I suppose. Yeah, they're just one of a couple on this list that the, you you really do struggle to get a grasp of. Um, I think in in the spirit of um, let's say this in the spirit of like how 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 the referees and the VAR treat things um, is very much the on field decision stands. <laughs> they were <laughs> yeah. they were fourth. And I haven't moved them. No, that seems um, fair enough. If they weren't fourth before, I don't know if it's the same scenario. So I'm um, feeling a bit like um, Andre Mariner right now, but there you go. I appreciate it. Right, into the big three. <laughs> there is the big three. It's a truly powerful top three. I'll keep Bayern at third. I think that's fair. But honestly, right now, for Bayern to lose a game of football, they either have to have a long list of COVID cases or they have to be playing Borussia Mönchengladbach. Now, Borussia Mönchengladbach are not in this tournament, so there's one case gone. 
and hopefully they can remain COVID-free for the rest of the season. They have a good round of 16 tie with Salzburg. They're clearly one of the strongest sides in Europe. They're rinsing the Bundesliga. They're going to have this wrapped up. Um, so what we talked about with Inter Milan and how they might just be in a title race until, well, all the way through, um, Bayern Munich probably aren't going to have this problem. They're around 10 no. points clear right now. They're going to be in a very luxurious position uh, in, in ability to rotate, and that could give them a little bit of an edge in the Champions League. But I'm very intrigued by that, but I still still didn't see enough reason to have them crack the English two at the top. And you may disagree with me, Jack, but ultimately City feel like an absolute machine and I've placed them in, in top spot again and, and Liverpool have, have only strengthened in January and I think they deserve to retain second because they negotiated December and January expertly, despite yeah. the fact that two of their best players were gone for a full month. I think this is it, right? If If Liverpool had slipped up at all, um, over the course of the last month, I would be saying that Bayern have to go in here because they've been so good and they've been so you know unavailable in terms of of how things work and they just feel like such a juggernaut. But Liverpool have just kind of negotiated what is always a tricky month for them without mm, yeah. Sadio Mane and Mo Salah. They've added Luis Diaz. Diogo Jota is scoring goals for fun. Minamino's found some form, and Harvey Elliott's back. Like, it feels like Liverpool are about to hit the old nitro pedal. Um, and if they can't catch City in the league, which I still think might be a wee bit out of, you know, out of touch for them, um, just because City are so good, not because Liverpool by any chance are stepping up, then that means that their focus might shift to winning this competition. And we all know they have such a history of winning this competition. Um, yeah. There is an argument that they maybe should be top. Yeah, I well, you said know, this last time, mate. You said this in December. And... Um... I I can see the argument, but since December, since since we talked about this before, and since Manchester City were ranked just marginally above Liverpool in first place, since that happened, since that podcast, they have won ten games from eleven, and the one they didn't win was a draw. Uh, I just like what what grounds have I got to remove them from top spot in that scenario? If my faith is with the Man City machine, and they have since won ten games of eleven, that is where they will stay. I'm not and saying you're wrong. I no, just, no, I just, not, I just no, put it out for the. Uh, the City have to win the Champions League. They have to. Like Pep has so, to do this. This team's too good not to. You know. The athlete, um, the Athletic have released um, an article, and they've they've put diagrams up of of every team in the Premier League and the territories that they control throughout oh, the season. It is. It's, it's, uh, John, Miller on, Man- John Miller on Twitter. If you want to go, it's John Space Miller. It's it's a joke. It's actually physically impossible. I don't think. I think anyone they, in the they world control the entire pitch apart from the opposition's penalty box and the like corner flags of their the own corner goal. flags of their own goal. <laughs> they they just have the whole pitch like in under control. That is absolutely absurd. Like even Liverpool fair, got a couple fair, of Liverpool patches. Don't, there are many patches that Liverpool. Don't there's not many, control. but like <laughs> but there's not many. But it just goes to show, yeah. doesn't it? How like Pep just leaves. Nothing to chance. Every single area is taken care of. It's it's unbelievable attention to detail because that's not even by chance. It makes you even wonder if like they set out with this uh, the objective of doing this article because they found out that Man City control all this territory and like how bad are other teams in comparison. But like I think it's just another reason to think that Man City they are the best team in Europe. They just yeah. need to prove it. They they just need to prove it because at the moment they can't actually say that. They are the best football team in Europe. We've seen that. 
week after I agree. week. But they they just can't get over the line, can they? And and that's the well, step that's they it. Need to take. Well, that's it, isn't it? That's the only reason you wouldn't have them top is because they haven't taken that step. That's that's where we're at. The best bit no, about no, these yeah, territory yeah. maps, by the way, is the fact that Burnley don't even control one of the thirds of their own box. <laughs> they only <laughs> control. Yeah, so they only they only control the left two thirds of their penalty box and the opposition's corner flags, which nice. can tell you plenty about how uh, how their plan of attack is going. Extremely Win concerning. corners. Um, uh, look, you got to respect it. You've got to respect cool. it. It's a move. Um, okay, very good though. Well done, Sam. Um, it is a very good ranking. I'm sure there are going to be plenty of people who have gripes, fancy their team higher or, or lower. In fact, um, I think a lot of Man United fans will think you got Man United a bit high. Um, Real Madrid fans whole, will think they're a bit low. Yeah, absolutely so. Um, but I think on the whole, it's a very well-balanced argument. So um, so well done. Lovely stuff. I enjoyed it. Well, let's let's kick on with the Champions League. But first, let's go to Portugal. Yeah, well, we've got to get to Portugal. We'll go and see Sporting for ourselves and let you know next week how, uh, how we think we're doing it. After the break, we'll have Melon of the Week, of course, and the gibberish rankings. Stick with us. Welcome back to Ranks FC, where it is time for everybody's favourite part of the week. Dean Jones, the floor is yours. Okay, it's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Bruno Fernandes. Oh, do you know what? I nearly let this go. I actually thought about not giving it to him and was looking around for other candidates but it just kept jumping back into my head and I, I just couldn't ignore it in the end. And rightly so, I think. Bruno's miss against Middlesbrough was unreal in the FA Cup at the weekend. I would have put every asset I own on him burying that chance that fell to him. I mean, it was an open goal. It was, it's really... only one way to talk. There's only one way to describe it and it's, it's an open goal. <laughs> it's an open goal. United obviously got dumped out of the cup at the weekend. But they should have had the game wrapped up in normal time. And they had other chances too, including a Ronaldo penalty. But Bruno's miss is unforgettable. It was easier than a penalty because the goal was empty. Goalkeeper Joe Lumley makes a bit of a hash of an attempted pass out of his box, trying to give it to one of his players and and Bruno intercepts it. And um, the goal is left unguarded and Bruno wins the ball and he takes the touch that moves him just inside the penalty box. Lumley's running back across to try and recover, but he hasn't done enough. He can't get there quick enough. And the goal is gaping. Bruno hits the post. He hit the post. I, I'm it's still not a bit good, bewildered it? by it. Yeah, I, mean, yeah, I think yeah. he put too much thought into it, to be honest, because he just needs to kick it straight. And he's like dragged it across as if it's a penalty, to be honest. And tried well, to he, could have hit, he could have hit the middle of the goal, right? This is yeah. the thing. Like, Lumley isn't getting back. Instead, he's tried to make sure by putting it in the corner, which you can't like knock. I understand what he's trying to do. Yeah. But if you make that kind of decision, unfortunately, you're just going to get punished. And, and here he is being punished by being made Mel of the Week. Well, that's it, isn't it? I mean... It's obviously a split-second decision. Um, even a great player like Bruno Fernandes can't get it right every time. And I think that's quite nice for the rest of us to know that even Bruno Fernandes can miss absolute sitters. Um, yeah, I'm sorry, but it really is prime melon of the week stuff. And that's for you, Bruno. You can't dodge this one, mate. That is the gibberish alarm, Sam. You're on. Okay, right. This week, it is things I don't understand. Could be one of us. Very long franchise because I don't understand much yeah, of this we, we could be here for a while. You're only allowed three. <laughs> but there's only three this week. Maybe we'll check in again later. And uh, check-in being the operative phrase there because at number three, it is the concept of the advanced check-in on flights. Um, now, I appreciate why 
this happens and I know that uh, it can be very useful for like things like getting your seats sorted and all that but I think it should be called something else because the act of checking in I feel like is like the literal act of I am at the airport now I'm here I'm here for my flight mm. and if you can check in a week before it kind of devalues the whole thing it doesn't actually make sense to me at all so you could check in for a flight and not turn up well then you're not you've not checked in at the airport because yeah. you checked in a week ago on your phone and then you didn't turn up so I feel like we need a rebranding exercise there to make it make more sense because it always confuses me yeah that is a weird one isn't it I the whole process, to be honest, of going to the airport now absolutely flummoxes me. Like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do anymore. Like, especially <laughs> now, like, since COVID, it's just bizarre. So, yeah, that's just another thing. But then again, there's always that panic of getting to the airport in time. I do quite like the fact you can check in online. Yeah, I'm, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm perfectly okay with this. Um, like, <laughs> this is this is fine. Um, you could then walk through. You could arrive now at the airport half hour, forty minutes before your flight if oh, you already no. checked in, Please and just walk straight there. Walk straight up to the gate, and off you go. Like you can mm. do it. It's uh, it's you no can, yeah. gone are the days where you have to be there two hours before a flight. Um, oh. and that's thanks to advanced check in. And hundred percent, I agree. You can still be there two hours before a flight to go to the pub. But yeah. um, but that's well, they now advise issue. you get there three hours before for COVID checks. It's like mm. yeah. then you well. get to the airport and the airport's absolutely dead because no one's traveling anywhere. So it's like tears <laughs> for that. And you no, get inside and all the shops are shut, the restaurants are shut because they've got no business. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's a bit. Rough. A I mean, I'm, again, I'm with you, Jack. I mean, the speed it's definitely uh, sped things up a little bit. I just think it should be called something else. No, uh, okay. No, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate uh, your uh, your yeah. linguistic concerns. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Go on then. Number two. People who set lots of lots and lots of alarms on their phone to wake up five or ten minutes apart. Either of you guilty of this? No, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Jack, Jack's got his hand in the air. I'm terrible at getting up. So I'm also terrible at getting up. But this, I just can't see how this helps. <laughs> I just, I just don't like. If you've obviously set an alarm for, let's say, let's go with um, you're getting up and to go to the airport, and you've already checked in for some reason, even though you're not there, and um, you're you've got an alarm set for six, six o five, six ten, six fifteen, six twenty, all the way up to like six fifty or something like that. It's just set the alarm for six fifty or six, like one of the two, and just get up. I can't see how like constantly turning your alarm off does like it gets you up does, does, does it what is the process here I, I wouldn't say that I am I will set alarms like 40 minutes apart and then just snooze the first one so it goes off three times in the period um, okay because I know that the first time I hit the alarm I will definitely fall asleep again like immediately it's just one of those things even as soon as I hear it I'm like oh Okay, unless I'm like literally going up. If I'm waking up to go to Fulham, I tend to get up after the first alarm because I'm excited. Um, <laughs> but if I'm if I'm not going on an away day, the chances are that that alarm is for work mm -hmm. or going somewhere that I don't necessarily have as much energy for, um, and therefore I have to, get, you know, give myself a buffer period where I'm just sort of rolling around being a slug. Wait till um, you've got kids and you have no choice. It is infuriating. Well, that's it. Once you, well, I think the thing is, once you have no, once you have no choice, you have no choice. It's kind of done, isn't it? It's it's, done you, no, well, you still don't accept it. Trust me. Even no. this morning, I was like, yeah. no, well, no the, the, the really horrible takeaway from this, of course, is that Jack is not excited to spend his time with us. No, I just what I took away from that as well, mate. Don't worry. Mm. I didn't go. I did not miss that. Mm. I won't miss my flight though, so that's good. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, number one, ups and downs, ups and downs. Yeah, What's one? Absolutely. Right, at number one, and it's the big one. I don't understand how anyone can like cucumber. 
It is disgusting. Oh, we talked about this the other day, didn't we? Yeah. We did I because agree. I got given a sa- I, I I got given a chicken sandwich. I specifically asked for um for like for lettuce basically with a yeah. whole salad on it. I was like, I'll just take the lettuce. Like I don't I don't like really like raw tomato, so please don't put that on. I didn't mention I didn't name check cucumber. I didn't think that had to be that was necessary. Um, I got given a sandwich with no lettuce whatsoever, no tomato to the person's credit, but it was stacked with cucumber, which I think is disgusting. It tastes like gone off water, and. I don't really understand. Like, you know the water that you leave by your bedside table and it's like, could could possibly have been there a week, maybe longer. And if you forget to take another glass of water to bed after you've been drinking, you sort of make a tough decision at three in the morning and go, yep, I'm going to go for it. That's what tastes like cucumber. So there's, there is something that is made fresh that tastes like the water on my bedside table that's been it's there for made, possibly grown. a week. Grown. <laughs> just so you know. Grown. Like, they don't just make them. It's not like a processed <laughs> meat. It's like, like Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, um, I actually, I, I don't share your, I don't share your uh, mad dislike of them. I don't think cucumbers are great, but I don't mind them either. Like if they're in something, I will eat it. It doesn't bother nah, me. I wouldn't take it, them out. They're I too in, they're too inoffensive to take out. To be perfectly they're inoffensive, are they? They're incredibly they're, inoffensive. They're not. They don't at taste all. or anything. They're, they they're, taste they're just no. They taste. Quite, they quite taste of. They taste of awful. Wow. You don't like any vegetables, yeah. Sam. That's a separate. That's a separate issue. <laughs> you like literally don't eat vegetables. You only eat beige food. Um, it's a it's a problem for a different day. Um, right. Thank you very much. That was very very useful. Uh, and on that bombshell, we are going to call this a day. And all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Sam Tsai. Cheers, buddy. Thank you very much, Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. I've been Jack Collins. This has been Ranks FC. We hope that you enjoy the Champions League returning next week. We are going to be enthralled, I imagine, by every little bit of it. We'll see you next week for... Oh, we've got a a special, special episode next week. This weekend, we're off to Porto to watch Sporting versus Porto at the Estadio Dragoes. And at the Estadio Dragao, um, and we're going to be pitch side and doing some bits and bobs, and we're going to be taking an in-depth look next week at the Primeira title race uh, and everything that's going on in Portugal. So make sure you don't miss Make that sure one. you get to the airport early, mate. Don't leave it to half hour before. <laughs> I won't, I won't. I'll set alarms. Yeah, it's you've fine. got all the stuff. All Please right. bring it. Thank you for listening as ever. Take it easy. 